30 Nerdy's presenting sponsor and the home of all of the official 30 Nerdy swag is Advertising Expressions. Juice, what would Superman be without the big S on his shirt? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about Iron Man? What, what if he couldn't slap that Stark Industries logo on everything? You know, Clark and Tony, they probably go to Advertising Expressions, like us, for all their advertising needs. Oh, yeah. And so should you. And when you need your own symbol, like for work, church, school, a team of super friends maybe, check out Advertising Expressions. They can help you get your name and logo in front of as many people as possible, as often as possible, for as long as possible. That's right. So whether you're a billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, or faster than a speeding bullet, check out Advertising Expressions at advertising-expressions.com. Or give them a call at 423-586-3270. And tell them the nerds at 30 and Nerdy Podcast sent you. It was a long time ago, longer now than it seems, in a place that perhaps you've seen in your dreams. For the story that you are about to be told took place in the holiday worlds of old. Now, you've probably wondered where holidays come from. If you haven't, I'd say it's time you begun. and nerdettes and welcome to 30 and nerdy podcasts halloween double feature i am your host with the most the duke of nerds the sweet tea of the nerdy south the boris karloff of the podcast world and joined by the co-host he is the doctor of nerdonomics with his phd in nerd philosophy He's freshly squeezed. The juice is loose all over the podways, people. He's our very own Dr. Frankenstein. Josh Davis. What's up, Doc? Yo, how many times I got to tell you? My name ain't juice no more. It's ice. Sorry. Uh, this is ice. Another glorious podcast. Makes me sick. Mm. I'm ready for this. I'm ready to run a muck, a muck, a muck, a muck all muck, over this muck, episode. The the both of us have our uh, Jack yes. Skellington uh, drinking containers here. Yes, I'm drinking my first coffee since uh, Christmas of last year, and I am drinking my first coffee since nine thirty this morning. Good for you. Good yes. for you. How's it going, man? Uh, well, I knew that slowly coming back to the real world i would be hitting the ground running as they say uh but i did not know that it would be as busy as i thought as it is um you know it's football season we, we own season tickets uh so today we have a game which is why we're at a very rare recording time for us at 10 in the morning trying to go eight no today against kentucky 
uh, in Nayland. Uh, keep the I'm faith. Back, keep the faith. Yeah, I'm back to work. Uh, got a new position, which I'm I'm very thrilled about. I like being on the bar. Uh, I'm good at it. But going into working at TLD with Brian, who I've, I've known for years now, I'd always kind of had this inkling to this could be a thing that I could make a career out of, like go up the ladder a little bit. And it's finally starting to happen. Um, it's this new position. Uh, it's like branding, content and outreach administrator. And so I'm going to have my own area. I'll be upstairs with Mallory in the merchandising area. And I'm just going to be working on brand content and outreach into the community and team building and fundraising and stuff like that. So I'm really excited. There's a lot uh, that's going to be happening over the next few months at Tennessee Legend Distillery uh, and into 2023. That's just exciting. I mean, we've had the Assassin's Creed stuff that is just fully rampant. And we got a whole nother brand of that coming with uh, Edward Kenway's Spiced Rum based off of Pirate's Black Flag. Uh, so it's going to be very exciting. That's coming within the next month or so. And, and some other partnerships coming down the pike over the next year to maybe three years. Uh, so it's a, it's a fun time to be at Tennessee Legend Distillery, who's graciously one of our sponsors for the show. I'm, 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 I'm in a show, as you'll hear in our new Encore ad. It's Peter and the Starcatcher. I'm playing four or five characters, uh, all different voices, all different physicalities. So that's exhausting. So like I get up at like 8.30, 8 a.m., go to work, come home, shower, change, go to rehearsal till 10.30, 11 o'clock, and then come back home, wake up, eat, sleep, repeat, conquer the streak. Um, <laughs> so my body is feeling it. And I'm like, dude, you just came off a two and a half month break after surgery. You should be rested. This should not be happening this soon. <laughs> But with the weather change and we're in the Southeast people and the weather doesn't know what it wants to be the way that most society, when they get up in the morning, they look in their closet and they don't know what they want to wear. It's pretty much like that. It's like the other day and it reached 80 something. And a few hours later, it was 42. And then at like 12 midnight, when I'm rolling in from rehearsal, it's 26. Or it could be the quite opposite. It could be 26 in the morning and then jump up to 85 and yeah. six o'clock in the evening. It's been really crazy. Uh, last it could rain. Weeks. Heck, next week we could get snow. We don't know. We could. We could it's, indeed. We just don't know. But it's, a, it's an interesting time. But yeah, I've been busy and trying to keep up with not just the podcasting world, but it is October. Uh, I am a horror genre fanatic. Um, and I've been trying to keep up with you know the horror world so it's been a lot of fun we've you know i've got i've been lucky this month to get to interview some horror genre people and those episodes are out if you want to listen to them go check out their movies uh as well uh what about you man how is work i am in the midst of uh my production of high school musical so you know how that is and you've uh been around me as a director before you know i'm one of those I got to have my hands on everything, every part of it. Um, and I constantly run through my to-do list and stress out, freak out. 
so that's my life right now and um, managing a class and a production with 70 teenagers has been rewarding <laughs> rewarding is the thing i'm supposed to say it's been it's it's been a challenge but they're great they're great um and a lot of them it's their first time ever doing anything like this and one of my favorite parts of working in theater with kids especially when they're new to it and they just don't know what to expect or they have these preconceived notions I just love shattering that and changing that whole concept that kids have about theater. And so I've been, the thing that I'm the most proud of so far is that, you know, we, a lot of times in theater, there's not a lot of boys, right? Somehow I, I wound up with several boys and some of them are actual basketball players. That's nice. And they walk in and they're like, man, I don't know. I don't know about this. This is not my thing, whatever talk to them just just see what happens just you know just try this try that we added some components so the process of like adding props or adding costumes or when they see oh wow it's real it's really happening this is the thing that we imagined and now it's here i see it I, I, it's in front of me it's a tangible thing um we added some costumes we got to borrow costumes from the lovely folks at the cumberland county playhouse oh um yeah, so I drove our band truck, which was an adventure, all the way to Crossville. Um, it was terrifying. Loaded up some set pieces, things that we're borrowing, costumes. So the next day in class, we had a big, you know, hey, let's try these costumes on. And I got those boys in those Wildcat basketball outfits. And they, their whole everything about them just changed once they had that costume on it was like wow guys we're wildcats look at us we look like yeah. a team like this is so cool and they were changing in this little closet area and in the theater which is where i have to have my class because there's 70 kids that i mentioned i have to speak on a microphone you can imagine so i did like a big announcement like ladies and gentlemen please give a warm welcome to your wildcat basketball team and I open the door and they come running out down the aisle up on the stage. The other kids going crazy. Oh, my God, the Wildcats. And then I had them. I said, let's just see what happens. Hit the music for Get Your Head in the Game. And they ran Get Your Head in the Game. And it's the best it's ever. Been. This is a big basketball number for those who don't know yeah. school musical. Very difficult. And the kids watching had seen it 15 times probably already. Went crazy. The boys did so well. I called them over after I said, so does having the costume make you feel a little different? They were like, yes. It's like, okay. And they're talking about how much fun they're having and how they never expected that they would ever want to do this. And here they are. And I was like, yes, big win. I am the <laughs> champion. So just wanted to brag a little bit. So that's my, my story. But yeah, High School Musical, 40 days. 40 days. Wow. wow. Are we ready? Will you we will be? be though. You'll be able to. Surely. It always comes together. Always. As I said, I've been trying to keep up with the horror world. Um, <clears throat> been doing a lot of watching in my very limited time. Usually, like, it takes me, like, a few days to watch one movie now this month. Um, so, on Netflix, there is this uh, trilogy called Fear Street. 
and it's based off the uh, young adult horror books by R.L. Stein. And uh, Sadie Sink is in it. Um, Maya Hawk is in it for like a little bit in the beginning. Uh, it kind of gives away a spoiler, but uh, it's this young adult horror trilogy and it's really cool. It is, uh, gets pretty brutal, but it, it takes place in the 90s and then it flashes back to like the 70s to when it all began for that town. But then it shifts gears and it takes you back to 1666 where it actually all began. So it's really cool to see the dichotomy of, of these people. And it's very anthological. It's like a lot of the same actors in the different time frames playing these parts or playing the younger version of this part and stuff. So I definitely recommend those. <clears throat> those are on Netflix. The one I don't recommend uh, is Jeepers Creepers Reborn. If you have followed the Jeepers Creepers franchise, uh, you know that one was was pretty good. Uh, scary. Justin Long was in it. Uh, very mysterious. Two got a little campy. Three was just downright gruesome. And this requel reboot, I, I couldn't even tell what they were trying to do with Reborn, but it belonged on the sci-fi channel in 1997. It's that bad. Dude, uh, modern horror movies are all just like, it's a flip of a coin. It's, it's either yeah. be really great or just really terrible. And speaking of really terrible, me and Christopher watched Halloween Ends. Hey, guess what? Did you I saw it? this one. Yes. What'd yes. you think? Not great. Not enough, Michael. No. And why did we need a teen love story and a new psychopath? Yeah, I, I, I didn't understand that. If this was meant to be the big end of the conflict between Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael, why is the story focusing on this other guy? Yeah, if you're just going to kill him and he's not going to carry it on. <laughs> like, and I laughed at the beginning when he opens the kicks open the door and the kitty's babysitting falls like four flights of stairs and like whiplashes and dies. I yeah, laughed the, at that. I was like, and, and the kid was taunting him like, Oh, Michael Myers, Michael Myers. Yeah. And was, the guy was like, Oh, stop it. Stop it. He was so terrified. And then he sees the real Michael Myers and like runs up to him and like, just talks to him and starts yeah wrestling around with him. Yeah. That didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense. It was, it was bad. Uh, I did rewatch another Netflix series. Uh, it was fantastic called the haunting of Hill house. It's from Flanagan, and he has his own little Flanagan horror universe going on at Knoxville and Knoxville Netflix, and it's uh, fantastic stuff. So anything by Flanagan, I recommend. I rewatched Hosts from 2020. Uh, it's on uh, where you can get video on demand and streaming. So it's like Vudu, Prime, Apple TV, stuff like that. It's fantastic. Uh, we got to do an early, or I got to do an early viewing of Feed Me from the same creators of hosts it's out now it's a a dark comedy cannibal horror and it is fantastic very bloody uh of course frost when from where i interviewed devony penn uh this is the one i told you josh don't watch especially as a father but oh, okay. I, I recommend it uh and for some reason i felt like i need to re-watch rob zombies halloween one and two. And I was reminded why I, I didn't rewatch them last year. 
Yeah. Uh, and probably won't again. Uh, there are some key, some elements that I did find enjoyable again. Like he is far more, Tyler Maine is far more daunting as a human. And it's easy to accept this is a massive, terrifying man than it is the early days of Halloween. So that's a, a, an element I did like is he is terrifying. Just brooding and standing in a corner because he's massive. And I've rewatched it, both Tim Curry and the new ones. So I got, I've got my fix for this month. I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> uh, definitely recommend most of those, but uh, some of them I watch it. So you don't have to, we, we, we joke about you not being in the genre. Do you watch any, are there any scary movies in October that you're like, you know what? I tell you, I no, not really. Um, every now and then, like I'll get a urge to watch like a Friday the 13th or, uh, uh, you know, Halloween or one of those things. Um, but I watched the, uh, the new Halloween, like we said a minute ago. And then I tell you last night, I was just kind of like, Hmm, I think I do want to watch some kind of scary something, but Emma showed up at that time and laid down in my lap. So I thought better of it, but yeah. I wasn't sure what I wanted to see. So what would you recommend? Like think, think about something that I haven't seen before. So like none of the Freddy's or the Jason's or the Michael's or the, I would do the, like the show haunting of Hill house from Flanagan. It's like, Nine, ten episodes. Very good. Um, it's more close to the book. Do you remember back in like late 90s, early 2000s, there was a movie called The Haunting with Liam mm. Neeson in it? Yeah. It was telling the same story, but doing it all wrong. Mm. Like just completely different. This is more based on the book. So... Uh, I would recommend that. Uh, and if you don't mind gore a little bit, it's like, it's not saw gore, mm -hmm. but you know, it's like slasher gore, uh, the fear street trilogy on Netflix, especially the performances of the young adult actresses and actors. I can probably, I've seen so few horror movies. I shouldn't say few. I, I have seen like, I've seen enough that I can remember all the ones I've seen. Let's put it mm. that way. You know what I mean? But like when I was in high school, my group of friends, um, we would do like a scary movie every Friday night at my friend Marty's house. Yeah. And that's how I started seeing a lot of them. because I was just never a horror kid. And I, we saw, um, did you ever see this one called Dead End? Yes. Or yes. something like that. This, these people are in a car and they just, keep going down this road and it like never ends and then they yeah. circle back we watched that and i was like this is the stupidest thing i've ever seen um and like house of wax and oh yeah jared padalecki like, uh, paris, paris hilton. hilton yeah 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 i remember that so i've seen a lot of the really bad ones too yeah yeah and oh the one about uh you remember uh cabin fever oh yeah it's got and a... they go to the general store and there's that old man in there yeah, they go Sean Hunter from Boy Meets World's in there. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that was a weird one. It was, yeah, very weird. That's called that's considered a body horror. Is the genre that falls under body horror? And also, uh, I just watched uh, Tusk. Really, a few days ago, not for the first time. Yeah, but I did watch it, and that's 
I mean, it's it's Kevin Smith, so it's kind of you know silly, but it's kind of horrifying if you yeah. think about it. Yeah, and Justin it Long, man, wow! Once he was the Walrus, what a performance! Oh yeah, underrated. Yeah. Justin Long's an underrated performer. He really can do in the genre. He really can, yeah. But he's just kind of stereotyped into the comedy genre because he's yeah. done so much of it. And he's he is a funny guy, but yeah, uh, yeah he's a great actor. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So a uh, little random Nerdica for this Halloween double feature. One of the things we're talking about in this episode is the nightmare before Christmas. I think that a, a dream that every theater kid has had, and maybe even every nightmare fan has had is seeing a live rendition, whether it be movie on Broadway, a special on ABC, whatever they do. I thought, well, who the heck would you cast? And how would you do it? And so we're not going to do, obviously, all the side characters and stuff. We're literally just going to do the big six, Jack, Sally, Santa, Oogie Boogie, the mayor, and Finkelstein. So juice. Ice. Ice. My bad. Hollywood. Ice. How difficult was this? Not very, actually. I had a lot of fun with this. A lot of times I sit and rack my brain. I have options on mine. Like I even did, if this were cast in the 90s. Okay. Who would it be? And then who would it be today? I went all out, baby. Okay. I would like to hear your casting, man. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So these are either really genius uh, choices or really off the wall, ridiculous choices. You can be the judge. Okay. So if Tim Burton is making The Nightmare Before Christmas as a live-action movie in the 90s or early 2000s or whatever. Here's how I think it would be. Jack Skellington, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Sally, Helena Bonham Carter. Santa. I actually did have a hard time with Santa Claus, like, in the 90s or whatever. Uh, but I picked uh, John Rhys-Davies. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. He was still an older fella in the uh, the the nineties. Yeah, uh, Oogie Boogie, interesting choice here. John Goodman. Okay. Yeah, I do have him on my list. Okay, the mayor. I put either John Candy or Chris Farley. Okay. The mayor has one of my favorite lines. By the way, we'll get to it. Um, and then Finkelstein. Danny DeVito. Okay. So that was my 90s version. Then I have a modern version. Do you okay. Give you that one now, or do you want to wait till you do yours? Uh, do your modern first, because I just picked from, like, their, their primes. Okay. I picked people out in their primes. Okay. So, um, for Jack, I put today good choices would be Tom Hiddleston mm-hmm. or Benedict Cumberbatch, who can do anything. And he's got the physicality and the voice mm-hmm. and everything. He'd be great. Sally. Um, this sounds like a really stereotypical answer, uh, maybe, but like Scarlett Johansson. Okay. I could see her singing that song really well and, you know, making that something. And then also uh, on the Nightmare Revisited album that they did like 12, 13 years ago, Amy Lee from Evanescence covered Sally's song, and it was really great. Uh, So, like, Amy Lee would be a good Sally. Yeah. 
but she's just not it's like an a-list b-list actor or anything like that uh santa claus <laughs> mick foley <laughs> <laughs> um oogie boogie uh i wasn't too sure i i said maybe like a CeeLo green oh yeah. he would be he'd be fun the mayor for some reason i just kept seeing like keenan thompson or something like that Keenan Thompson mayor would be good. And then uh, Zach Galifianakis would also be a good mayor. Yeah. And then for Finkelstein, I said Andy Circus or, hear me out, Steve Carell. <laughs> think about him doing a voice. <laughs> yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. It so, would be good. That's my <clears throat> casting. My Jack was obviously Johnny Depp. Um, because it is a Burton movie and you can't have the the trope without Johnny Depp and honestly I don't see any other character he's playing other than Jack and my my backup was Hiddleston as well um, Sally my Sally was Zendaya oh nice that's who I would pick my Santa is uh, John Goodman okay my Oogie he's, Boogie. You know that he's really thin now, though, right? He is, but yeah. okay. my Oogie Boogie is Jack Black. I thought about that. Uh, my mayor is uh, Danny DeVito. And my Finkelstein is either between Steve Buscemi or Mark Hamill. Oh, Mark Hamill would be excellent. Mm-hmm. Dude, I had Jack Black written down for Oogie Boogie as yeah. well, and then I changed my mind. Yeah. Because he'd be too rock and roll with it and do his little... That'd be weird. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Johnny Depp and Tusk, his role in Tusk is so <laughs> great. Yeah. That's another one. That, that... The fact that Kevin got Johnny. Like, you'll, yeah. you'll hear Kevin all the time and be like, dude, I got Johnny Depp yeah. to do a Kevin Smith movie. And he like, was one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, absolutely was. Anyway. So, what are your live castings? Let us know. I mean, most people would probably say, uh, don't touch it. We don't need one. I know there's always been discussions that there's one in the works, and it's been greenlit, it's been redlit, it's been shelved for years now. Will it be brought back? I mean, this is kind of the time... We're in this time where uh, it is a lot more likely uh, to happen now with all of Disney's reimagining of live action between Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and all that stuff. Why not Nightmare? Um, But Tim Burton would have to be involved. And sadly, um, if you follow his interview from Lord 2019, 2020, he says after Dumbo, he he will not work for Disney again. He says it's a circus, it's a madhouse, it's too big, and it's not what he does. He doesn't do big. Um, and I don't see him ever being on board with a reimagining yeah. of Nightmare. So yeah, I, sadly, I don't either. And, and maybe it's not sad. Maybe it shouldn't be done. Yeah, some I don't know. Should, some of these animated movies probably shouldn't have turned into live action. Yeah, The Lion King. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, what are your thoughts? A nerd vocabulary word. <clears throat> Gentra nerdification. 
gentrification. Often increases the economic value of a piece of fandom or nerd culture, but the resulting nerd demographic displacement may it may itself become a major social issue when the increase of the economic value keeps nerds of a different economic status from participating in or enjoying said economically increased nerd culture. <clears throat> I see. Point in fact, here in Southeast, Dollywood. Sure. Have you followed the Dollywood drama? No. <gasps> oh, sir. About the changes in the season passes? Yes. 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 Basically, yes. the season pass, which when I was a kid was like 50, 60 something dollars. Yeah. Got you in any time, discounts on food, parking, blah, blah, yep. blah. Then yep. there was the silver and the gold and the diamond and all this stuff. More money, more money, more money. Well, now they have come out and they have said the silver pass is the new season pass, but there are blackout dates where you cannot come. And a lot of those blackout dates are Christmas. When most people come to Dollywood, other than mm -hmm. June and July, obviously. It has been like an upheaval down here. Like, yeah, I did crazy, crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, but you but like these are paying customers and you're going to tell them like you you have to get gold, which is an outrageous price, of course. And 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 that's kind of what got me thinking about this and like, you know, all the jokes we make about like Disney buying this and, throw, you know, throwing all this money and all this. And but for some reason, following the Dollywood drama made it a little more real for me down here because it's in my back backyard right now mm -hmm. and i work down the road from it and it's it's our disney it has been since we were children yep so and it's gotten so big from when we were kids you know oh, the last 30 it's years it's, at least doubled yeah at least right um and obviously each year she adds something new to either splash dollywood or dream more so it's all that this area is always growing um, and she really does not have the hands-on that people think she does. Yeah, she doesn't like manage the no, park or make no. the decisions. She just has her name on it. Uh, WCI or MCI, they're the people who run it and just her name's on it. And she shows up a couple times a year. She does a parade. And yeah. Yeah. It's really, she is not hands-on. So the people who are going after Dolly, I'm like, you really don't know anything. Um, and don't go after the queen like that. How dare mm -hmm. you? No, no, no. Um, but yeah, uh, it, gentry notification, it can be a good thing. It also came to mind when Nolan moved to Chattanooga, uh, a lot of gentrification happened to that area and it's beautiful now, especially the downtown area. It's, uh, they've put all this money into it and they've changed the culture and all that. And it's beautiful and it feels safer and blah, blah, blah. But what does it do to the displaced communities that it kind of forces out of that area? So mm -hmm. there is good and uh, bad. So like the 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 human in me is always at war with like gentrification, like the good and the bad. And morally, I feel terrible, but love that this area is safe and fun and rich and new and things are happening. Uh, so, yeah, gentrification. Have you ever been a victim of it? 
for instance, like, oh, I was watching One Punch Man when it came out on blah, 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 blah. And now they've thrust all this money into it and I can't afford a One Punch Man toy that's $450, blah, blah, blah. Stuff like that. Are you a victim of it? Everyone's been a victim of it at some point. So we are going to step away and take a quick break, brief intermission. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about our first topic of our double feature, the nightmare before Christmas. What's this? All good things must come to an end. Just like Encore Theatrical Company's 16th season of great plays and musicals. Closing out this season is Peter and the Starcatcher. Based on the 2004 novel by Dave Barry and Ridley Pearson and adapted to the stage by Rick Elise, Peter and the Starcatcher provides a backstory for the characters Peter Pan, Mrs. Darling, Tinkerbell, and Hook, and serves as a prequel to J.M. Barry's original novel, Peter and Wendy. And to top it all off, it features our very own nerd and resident, Tyler. Don't miss Peter and the Starcatcher, presented by Encore Theatrical Company and in conjunction with Walter State Community College on November 11th, 12th, 18th, and 19th at 7.30, with matinees on November 13th and the 20th at 2.30. The show will be performed in the Judge William H. Inman Theater on the Walter State Community College campus. For tickets to the show, or for season tickets for Encore's next exciting year, call 423-318-8331, or visit etcplays.org for more info. It's not just theater, it's Encore. 30 and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Tennessee Legend Distillery. Established in the summer of 2015, Tennessee Legend Distillery is more than just another moonshine stop in the Smoky Mountains. From our multi-award winning silky smooth salted caramel whiskey to our king snake two-year-old bourbon whiskey, our local favorite vodka, and even our legendary line of cream liqueurs, there is something for everyone. Focusing on a small town vibe, our family and friend owned and operated business has kept us grounded to the heritage of the volunteer state with our fun, courteous, and smiling staff. Come in for free tastings and leave with your spirit of choice, whether it be Richard's Damn Good Gin or the legendary Hammershine. You can find us on social media by searching Tennessee Legend Distillery, where you can see behind the scenes features new deals, and our always fan-favorite Thirsty Thursday cocktail recipes. Now we do have two locations here in Sevierville, one on Highway 66, one on Newport Highway. We also have locations in Cookville and Nashville. If you do visit our Sevierville location located at 870 Winfield Dunn Parkway, tell them the guys at 30 and Nerdy Podcast sent you. You'll receive a free shot glass, and 15% off your purchase. What are you waiting for? Come be a legend at Tennessee Legend Distillery. Cheers to you, nerds. Rolling out, no worries, no cares. When the car came out of nowhere. That's when my whole world changed. Pills for the pain, medical bills insane. Lucky for me, I dialed OEB. Boom, turn your wreck into a check. The ones for you now call OEB Law. Boom. Turn your wreck into a check, we got your back now, call OEB Law. Woke up all broke up and messed up, laying there in pain as if it wasn't bad enough. Couldn't work much and the bills are piling up. 
Insurance company wasn't paying up. I was down, I was out, but I wasn't quite done. Call 546-1111. You're in pain, yeah, we got you. You can't pay, yeah, we got you too. Boom. Turn your record into a check. The ones for you now call OEB Law. Boom. Turn your record into a check. We got your back now. Call OEB Law. Boom. Turn your record into a check. We got your back now. Call OEB Law. My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can turn into nightmares. Join me as I tell you haunting and horrific reveries about missing people and senseless murders. I also interview survivors and people seeking justice for themselves or a loved one. New episodes come out every Monday morning, and sometimes you'll get bonus episodes on Thursdays. Wherever you're listening to this current podcast right now, you can find Reverie True Crime. Hi, I'm Samantha Luxley. I play Olivia in Feed Me, and you are listening to the 30 and Nerdy Podcast. Guest star alert. Hi, Emma. Hi. How are you? Good. Are you ready for Halloween? Yes. Who are you going to be? Sky. You're going to be Sky? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Did you see her zero picture? No. Were you zero at Disney? Yes, I was. Who did you see at Disney? Jack Skeleton and Sally. Oh, the power couple. Was that fun? Yeah. Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit of the Nightmare for Christmas, too. Okay, that sounds great. Um, Jack just was, like, delivering, like, some scary, scary presents to little children. Mm-hmm. Why was he doing that? Because he was making Christmas. He was yeah. making Christmas. Who's your favorite character from The Nightmare Before Christmas? I like all the characters. Can you sing any of the songs from Nightmare Before Christmas? This is Halloween. This is Halloween. 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 Oh, am I just got a picture of your zero costume? Isn't that just cute? You're so cute. Yeah, and it had Jack. And Sally on the picture. Oh, that is just so cool. That is adorable. Can you sing um, the Oogie Boogie song for Tyler? Yeah. You're joking. You're joking. I can't believe my eyes. You're joking me. It gotta be. This can't be the right guy. He's anxious. He's ugly. I don't know what just worse. 
and Mike just the scene now. If I don't, I laugh at first. You're awesome. <laughs> Welcome back, nerds and nerdettes. And our first topic of the 30 and Nerdy Halloween double feature is also the first fully animated Disney film to not be traditionally animated. A film that can be watched from October to December just fine. That's right, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Written by Tim Burton himself, Michael McDowell, and Caroline Thompson. Directed by Henry Selick. Music by Danny Elfman. Starring Chris Sarandon, Danny Elfman as the singing voice of Jack. Catherine O'Hara, William Hickey, Glenn Shaddix, Edward Ivory, and Ken Page. As well as... Pee Wee Herman himself uh-huh. debuted October 29th today as we are recording 1992 three sorry 1993 yeah. which was 29 years ago the budget was an estimated 18 million dollars now in 92 93 money that was a lot today that would be 38 a little over 38 million dollars worldwide gross in the 90s, was 91221845 which would today be a $192 million-plus movie. But by today's standards, $192 million wouldn't seem like a no. success to some people. No, it's not a lot. Like, when you're going head-to-head with movies that make billions and five hundred plus million dollars it's sad to think that way though like most people be like oh it only made 192 worldwide Ah, that's not a success Uh, that's a profit people profit is success that's like i'm at this new mentality man and i think a lot of it is not just my old age but like you know i worked a lot this past year on just enjoying things and not being so critical sure Profit is is a success. Yeah. If your movie cost less than you made, I had a lemonade stand as a kid. Profit is a success. Like, I I don't get like, oh, it only made triple its money. That's nothing compared to the Avengers billion. Okay. Uh But it made money. Yeah. And not everything is going to be that. Not everything can be that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So this is based actually on the original poem written by Tim Burton himself with the same title, which we will play a little snippet for you right here, narrated by the late great and incomparable Christopher Lee. It was late one fall in Halloween land and the air had quite a chill. Against the moon, a skeleton sat, alone upon a hill. He was tall and thin, with a bat-bow tie. Jack Skellington was his name. He was tired and bored in Halloween land. Everything was always the same. I'm sick of the scaring, the terror, the fright. I'm tired of being something that goes bump in the night. I'm bored with leering my horrible glances, and my feet hurt from dancing those skeleton dances. I don't like graveyards, and I need something new. There must be more to life than just yelling, boo! 
Then out from a grave with a curl and a twist came a whimpering, whining, spectral mist. It was a little ghost dog with a faint little bark and a jack-o'-lantern nose that glowed in the dark. It was Jack's dog, Zero, the best friend he had. But Jack hardly noticed, which made Zero sad. All that night and through the next day, Jack wandered and walked. He was filled with dismay. Then, deep in the forest, just before night, Jack came upon an amazing sight. Not twenty feet from the spot where he stood were three massive doorways carved in wood. He stood before them, completely in awe, his gaze transfixed by one special door. Entranced and excited, with a slight sense of worry, Jack opened the door to a white, windy flurry. Tim Burton's poem, and then with the narration of Christopher Lee for me, does anytime you have the fortune to hear a Ray Bradbury book narrated by Ray Bradbury, mm-hmm. the vocal tone and the world building, and you can close your eyes and you see it. Right. So it was really cool. It was really cool. So Juice, The Nightmare Before Christmas turns 30 next year. Yet another classic IP that we're older than. Uh, what are your first memories of this movie? Honestly, dude, I don't know. Um, I'm, we're usually so good at like, oh, yes, I remember when I saw this the first time. Yeah. And, blah, blah, and we always have. I don't I don't know. I really can't remember my first encounter with Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, it had to have been when I was. Let's see. We were four, ten years old when it came out. Uh, I definitely did not see this in theaters. I know that. Uh, My um, first memory is is the VHS plastic black Mm -hmm. container. It wasn't a normal slip. It was like the the opened like a book. It was black plastic, and the VHS tape. Watching it at home. That's what I remember. First, when I think about this and just the constant rewatching when I was a kid and even up until middle school and high school. Yeah. And I mean, it's just it stood the test I, of time. I definitely wasn't a like a rewatcher of this one when I was like a kid kid, but mm. like in high school. Well, but in my younger days, before I was the juice, when I was just the pulp, <laughs> I, I um I did. I, I was into all things dark and, mm. you know, I wore a lot of black and stuff mm. like that. So I remember like I was really big into it in those days. Like I had the shirts and uh, stuff like that. So but I don't remember what prompted it. I don't know. I guess it just was one of those things like it's a dark macabre thing. So I like it. I don't know. Well, and this is during the, the heyday of Tim Burton. Um, I mean, he had given us Batman and Beetlejuice and Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Edward Scissorhands. And right. so he really led our generation into the macabre. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not he didn't create the macabre. It was always there since the Dark Ages. But Tim Burton romanticized the macabre and we fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. That dark, eerie world. Um, that he built for us and whatever he touched and it's interesting that this episode is going to be 
uh, two two topic episode mm-hmm. with Hocus Pocus and Nightmare Before Christmas because in my research, uh, I found out that uh, when Hocus Pocus was released, it was in like the summer, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. But the reason for that was they had Nightmare Before Christmas coming up to be released and they didn't want them to have to compete. So that's why Hocus Pocus got the earlier release date because they didn't expect it to be a success like they did with Nightmare because it was Tim Burton, right? Yeah. Kenny Ortega didn't quite have the same, you know, um, find his name at the time uh, as as Tim Burton. Well, and even even now, to be honest, but uh, so that's, you know, yeah, the, the release date and the name behind it really made all the difference. Mm-hmm. So what is it about this one that you think uh, that makes it a legendary status in pop culture phenomenon for all generations? Um, maybe the the characters, I think, because they all look a certain way and they're all different, and unique and whatever. But they're all like, except for Oogie Boogie, of course, like, you know, these kind, good you know, characters, fun and loving and, and happy and all this, even though they're all a little broken. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can appeal to people or they can connect with that in some way. The good music. And plus mm-hmm. people just love Halloween, right? So mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, to Halloween town, there's like this subplot of like, they're the Island of misfit toys. Yeah which I think is even in the commercialism of these holidays and all that, as we got older, uh, there's a misfitness to Halloween as compared to Christmas, you know, especially in the controlling of, you know, the narratives for both holidays, Halloween has become uh, at least, you know, through, I don't know if it's mainstream media, if it's a subtle, what they wanted to stray away from, but there's a misfit toy feeling comparing Halloween town to Christmas town. I agree. Just like there is from Halloween lovers and the holiday to Christmas lovers and the holiday. And I think that it's captured really well in this movie. Um, what's your favorite song? I love this is Halloween. Cause that's a great opening song, building the excitement, showing us all the different characters and introducing us to the Halloween town uh, world. Um, and I also love, I I'm a big fan of Lock, Shock, and Barrel. So I like Kidnapped the Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Little Rascals. Um, yeah, I, I would probably have to say that I really, like I love the Oogie Boogie song just for the fun of it. Uh, and it's a character I'd like to play. But um, Jack's Lament has always been a favorite of mine because of the meaning behind the song. You know, this isn't what I always want to do. There's got to be something more out there. I've got so much more to give than just being the king of Halloween, you know. And even though in the end he finds his passion again, there's something very human to that that we all go through. Um, What's your favorite character? I would say Jack and Lock, Shock, and Barrel. I would say Oogie Boogie is my favorite character. Not in a lot of it, but makes an impact when he shows up. Also uh, have a lot of love for the mayor. Yeah. What about your favorite animation? <sighs> I can tell you mine. It's when he's walking down that thing and it starts to extend. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That quintessential picture. 
I love the uh, when he's telling all the town in the meeting about Christmas and he starts to describe Santa Claus and he does the close up and he makes the claws because they called him Sandy Claus. I love that part. Yeah. And the apparently the hardest shot for them to get of the movie that they worked really, really long and hard on was when he's opening the door to the Christmas world tree and you can see his reflection in the doorknob yeah that's that's really cool yeah what about side character i'm gonna go with mayor because the mayor has my one of my favorite lines jack i'm just an elected official here i can't make decisions by myself (laughs) um my favorite side character is the guy in the bass guitar the little guy that's inside the bass guitar is like, nice job, bone daddy. Bone daddy. Because uh, we those, used to quote that all the time. One of those guys has a little mini Danny Elfman in his instrument. Yeah, that's the the who the character I'm talking about. The oh, mini okay, Delfman that's what Elf, I thought. Yeah, the yeah, mini yeah. Danny Elfman in the yes, right in okay. the instrument. One and a two and a three and a four. That whole band, the the little the addition of the band, they that they might be my favorite side characters. We cast the live action for it and Rando Nerdica. Now, who do you play and who do I play if it were done here? Well, I think you would make a good Oogie Boogie. I would definitely want to throw my hat in the Jack arena or if Lock, Shock and Barrel, Lock, Shock or Barrel were on like, they were like a puppet mm-hmm. or something because that's how I always imagine like if this were a Broadway yeah. production, Lock, Shock and Barrel could be puppets mm-hmm. or maybe you've got one person controlling all three of them and doing Doing all three voices voices. that'd be really impressive that might be impossible but i would want to do one of those little guys i would also throw your name in the hat to direct this oh i would love that it would stress me out it'd be terrible but it'd be fun i think you'd do really well at this if we directed it if you directed it for the live stage here disney Yo, hit me up. <laughs> yeah. I got you. <laughs> Even if it's a one weekend event in Morristown, Tennessee. I'm in. So uh, a little bit of unknown nerdlage I did in my, my research for this. Uh, in 2001, Disney began to consider a regularly animated sequel with the new style of animation. Burton, who has been known to be very protective of this IP, uh, talk, luckily talked them out of it because it would be along the lines of that Pixar animation. And I just don't think it would work. That no. claymation stop animation, it, it really was ahead of its time with, when Tim Burton did this. And I, I just think it would change the dynamic. Yeah, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't wouldn't. Have been good. So the original poem was inspired after seeing Halloween merchandise displays and stores being taken down and replaced by Christmas displays. And nowadays, the Christmas displays are up at Even the same earlier. time. <laughs> Uh, Danny Elfman has went on record saying that writing the songs for this movie was probably the easiest job he has had because they came so natural to him. I would, I, th- I think that's kind of. I, I would argue that Danny Elfman had more of a hand in this production than uh, Tim Burton even did. Oh yeah, yeah. Even though at the billing it says Tim Burton's yeah. the Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, it is his. It idea. is his baby. Yeah. Uh, It is on record, as you said, the most difficult shot in the film is Jack reaching for the doorknob in Christmas time land. Hey, you ever thought about something? He falls down the little magical portal into Mm -hmm. 
Christmas land. How mm-hmm. does he just, how does he get back? He just shows back up in Halloween town on the sleigh. How did he do that? Huh? Maybe there's people, like this. Pe- people want to complain about traveling in game of Thrones, right? Even though yeah. we've seen them travel those roads before. So we can understand that it's happened. Yeah. No one uh, explained or no one complained about Jack showing back up from the Christmas getting portal. Out, getting out of the tree. That's Just interesting. That's I've always interesting. wondered that. Um, it took a group of 100 people three years to complete this movie. For one second of film, up to 12 stop motion moves had to be made. Who could you imagine? You better pay me a pretty penny yeah. to take that much time. That Disney money, baby. Vincent Price was originally cast as Santa Claus. However, his wife, his wife's death destroyed him so much that he left the project. His heart was so broken that he couldn't perform much after that. He died less than two years later. He did go in and record it, but they said that his voice was just so yeah. sad and frail, like it just wouldn't yeah. be good. So they had to replace him. Sad. And it's a, what's interesting about that that casting is Vincent Price and it for all aspects as a king of horror yeah you know so seeing him hearing him as santa claus would have been very interesting i was introducing some of the fine arts kids to vincent price this past week when uh we the the beginning choir uh was a learning thriller and i came in to work with them on it and i got to do the Darkness the Vincent falls Pri- yeah. across the land. I got to do that for them. And um, at the end of class as a reward, we showed them the thriller video because yeah. most of them had never seen it before. I well, was explaining it's a, it's it to a straight up movie. Yeah. And that's like, that was 1987 or something like music videos were just a thing in the eighties. And so this was something unique and it had never really been done before. And it's, it's iconic. So yeah, we had a fun little, I love teaching about pop culture. Imagine that. But mm. uh, so those funny, moments are always fun. Funny thing. Uh, Vincent Price voices the villain in my favorite Disney movie. The Great Mouse Detective. Oh, that's right. He's Radigan. Oh, Radigan. The little man inside the base of the street band is based on Danny Elfman. There was supposed to be a little mini Tim Burton somewhere. He was going to be like a decapitated yes. head somewhere, but they cut yes. it. Yes, actually, um, uh, that's uh, at the end of the movie. The pumpkin that the vampires are using a hockey puck was intended to be a head that would play pay homage to Tim Burton himself. Mm-hmm. It was scrapped because the director said Tim wouldn't like it. However, he never actually asked him. I think... Tim would have been like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be funny. Uh, I think Tim's macabre enough to he would have approved it. Uh, or at least asked, you know. Uh, Oogie Boogie was intended to be Finkelstein in disguise. Burton hated the idea so much that he kicked a hole in the wall of the writer's room. Yeah, I wouldn't have liked that. <laughs> this is the first stop motion film to be rated PG by the MPAA. And in the original poem by Tim Burton, the only characters are Zach, Jack, Zero, and Santa. All the other characters were added just for the movie. Well, there you go. So, final thoughts on The Nightmare Before Christmas. I love The Nightmare Before Christmas. It is, as some uh, listeners or watchers will learn and are 
Halloween top 10 special mm-hmm. we do. Uh, it's one of my absolute favorites for Halloween. Mm-hmm. And my daughter loves it now. She's on a huge Nightmare Before Christmas kick, so I'm getting a big, heavy dose of it this year. Uh, but it's a classic, and I love it. And um, I'm glad we covered it today. Me too. Me too. Absolutely one of my tops in the Halloween through Christmas season. Uh, and that, best... too, of course. We, yeah. You can watch it for uh, Christmas yeah. as well. Yeah. So, of um, course. And some of my favorite parts about being an uncle has been introducing my nephews to this stuff. And their big kick right now is like Emma nightmare before Christmas. They know all the songs. Colton sings them all the time. Bryson sings them uh, and just getting to watch them with them. And like, I wish that I wish I just had a GoPro to just cover life. Uh, and Maddie will sometimes be there or somebody will take pictures, but there's always this random picture that Maddie will take anytime I'm introducing them to something, the Halloween tree, Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, the first Ghostbusters movie. What it, it's just the, the two of them sitting on my lap. And like, there's always just this image of all three of us just entranced and them loving what I'm showing them. And it's like this passing down of, you know, a little bit of you that they mm-hmm. enjoy. And yeah, it feels good. Those moments are just amazing. And I wish you could capture every, every time that happens. Um, but nerds and nerdettes, as we said, don't touch that dial. This is a 30 and nerdy double feature, baby. That's right. When we get back, we will be celebrating 30 years of another classic Halloween film. When 30 and nerdy podcast returns sisters. Why must I be cursed with such idiot sisters? Just lucky, I guess. <laughs> Hi, I'm Cody. And I'm Christian. And we're Nerds with Friends. Not just two nerds who have some friends. No, we're your hosts for the podcast, Nerds with Friends. We cover any topic that people can nerd out over, from TV, movies, and comics, to conventions, tabletop RPGs, and much more. Nerds with Friends comes out every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And of course, on our website, nerdswithfriendspodcast.com. Join us every week as we confess our nerdy confessions and talk about the latest in nerdy news. And remember, you're not alone. You're with friends. This is Nerds with Friends. Thank you for listening. Now back to the show. Rolling out, no worries, no cares. When the car came out of nowhere. Call 546-1111. Boom. Turn your wreck into a check. We got your back now. Call OEP Law. My name's Neil Ward, and I play Lionel Flack in the film Feed Me, and you're listening to 30 and Nerdy Podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome back, nerds and nerdettes, uh, to the 30 Nerdy Podcast. And oddly enough, this is very rare. 
uh, in our short break we took, uh, we got some breaking news here. Newsflash. Yeah, newsflash. So The Witcher has been renewed for season four. However, Henry Cavill, our Geralt of Rivia, is exiting the project and will be replaced by Liam Hemsworth. Juice. I'm I'm baffled. I'm shocked. I'm sad because God, he was so good as Geralt, and I mean, he's a fan and a nerd and a, a, a just a he was amazing. Uh, what what do you think's going on? Does this mean that uh, Disney offered him more money to do something for Marvel? Either Disney offered him more money to do something for Marvel. Or DC's type bringing him back, which is is what needs to happen. Um, or one thing he said uh, when, and I'll say this with, with what limited knowledge I know about it, is when you're under a Netflix contract, they also own your likeness in your time with them, which is why when we got Superman in Shazam and Peacemaker why it couldn't be Henry Cavill because Netflix owned his face and they would have had to pay Netflix that's a bit extra extreme that's a little that, that is what Henry said in an interview two... he said when you work for Netflix they own your face those are your, two totally separate characters though agreed it's That's insanity. Crazy. It's literally like own his face. He can't be Superman and, and do a little bit in Peacemaker. He can't be sick. No, 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 no. But he said in an interview that when you're under a Netflix contract, they well, own your, your likeness right. That doesn't make sense because some of the Stranger Thing kids have done other things. Like uh, old Ghostbusters. What's his face was in Ghostbusters. Yeah. I don't know if there is someone out there listening that knows the more ins and outs of it. All I know is I read the interview during Peacemaker, where Henry talked about, you know, the, that final scene where mm-hmm. the Justice League shows up and he said, what you have to understand is I'm, I'm Geralt and I'm working for Netflix. And when you work for Netflix, it keeps you from doing things because they own your likeness rights. So I, if you're out there and you're listening and you know more in detail stuff behind the red tape, let me know. Let I assumed know. it was because they just didn't want to pay him for a two second spot. That's what I assumed. But uh, so, yeah, what are y'all's thoughts? I mean, Liam Hainsworth, who uh, most people are only really going to know from the Hunger Games movies, uh, brother to Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth. Um, not that he's not talented. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen a lot of work outside of yeah. uh, the Hunger Games. I don't know a lot about him. I don't know a lot about was, him. I can't uh... really judge him. So. He had a thing with Miley Cyrus for a long yeah. time. It's really about yeah. all I know. A dramatic marriage with Miley Cyrus is, is so. I mean, who's to say? Who knows? When when time comes that we get the answer, you'll hear it here. I'm sure you'll hear it all over the Council of Nerd podcasts out there. But man, it's just shocking because he's so good. I wonder how our dear friend Beth Crowley is going to feel about it. Yeah. Oh, we'll have to ask her. We're going to have to reach out and ask her. But yeah, so uh, welcome back uh, to our double feature. 
uh, our Halloween special. Uh, and now we are delving into a little bit different side of Disney's Halloween cult classics uh, with Hocus Pocus Juice. That's that's right, because some nerd has lit the nerd flame candle. Yes. And now we have returned for this next segment. Oh, yeah. Perhaps we should form a calming circle. I am calm. I am calm. Oh, brother, thou are not being honest with thyself now, oh. are we? Huh? Bubble, yeah. bubble, I'm in trouble. Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> love that guy. I love the scene where he's like, uh, hey, I put my neck on the line for this community. And you're going to do something like that? They thought I, I was, was a real cop. Yeah, I was just about to talk about that. The guy, I don't think that you can do that. I don't think that you can wear like a badge and all that stuff. That's impersonating an officer. To impersonate an officer. And and what a jerk that guy was, too. This kid yeah. runs up to him in a state of panic, like, oh, we need your help. Something's wrong. And he doesn't start with, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not a real cop, but what's wrong? It's but you know, let like, me help you. Geez. Maybe yeah. let's hey, let me help you find the real police, or is everyone yeah. okay? It, the crazy thing about it is is that man would be taken to jail today for not just impersonating an officer, but if a kid came up to him in a panic and he didn't help and he just went off on his way, if it, if whatever were to happen were to come back to him, he'd be arrested for, you know, allowing endangerment of a child, not helping, not assisting, uh, ignorance of the law. Like, golly, like that's a little detail that, was so overlooked when we watched this. But anyway, we digress. Um, Hocus Pocus is a big deal. Mm. And I, I would say not even just at Halloween, obviously, especially at Halloween time, but this is one of those movies that people love to talk about year round. It's like yeah. it's become such a, a favorite. And right around the time September hits, that's when the Hocus Pocus stuff really, especially the last like four or five years, it's just really taken off. And when you compare that to when it first came around and it wasn't such a big deal in the last 30 years, how much it's grown in popularity, it's really sort of amazing. Like there's not many things that do that where they seem to 30 years later mm -hmm. become this big deal when they weren't at their early uh re initial release i should yeah, say yeah i mean it's it's really crossed it's one of those like nightmare uh like some of the movies that we uh talked about in our youtube exclusive that crosses generations yeah and uh, that's really what helps a movie to stand the test of time and hocus pocus is in the top list for a lot of people that of halloween time movies well, for those who checked out our uh, YouTube video of our top 10 Halloween flicks, Hocus Pocus was my number one. Yeah. And it is my number one for Halloween. So I think it is as close to a flawless movie as you can get. The nostalgia of it alone really sells it for a lot of people. I totally agree. All right, so uh, Hocus Pocus did premiere, oddly enough, in July of 1993, <laughs> July 16th, 1993. The reason for this was uh, it was a Disney release, of course, mm -hmm. but they had a little project called The Nightmare Before Christmas that was in development at the same time 
It had been in development for like three years, so they were anxious to get that one uh, released. And it had Tim Burton tied to it. And Tim Burton's coming off the success of Beetlejuice and Batman Returns and um, the original Batman that he did. So I think they were expecting it to be a much bigger deal, which I would say at the time that it was. So they went ahead and pushed Hocus Pocus back to uh, July release. So that probably hurt it a little bit. Doesn't make a lot of sense to do a Halloween movie in the summer, but you know, yeah. whatever they, they did what they did. Um, I, I would, I would argue that it wouldn't have affected it. It would have put people in seats more in both movies at Halloween time. Like I would have had it released, like had, had Hocus Pocus released last weekend in October and Nightmare Before Christmas this weekend, I'd have been at both right? in the theaters. But I think uh, that, but I understand. The, yeah, the thought process is probably, well, most people aren't going to pay to take their family to the movies, you know, more than Twice like once a month, month yeah. or, you know, every so often, because especially nowadays, oh, it's gosh. pretty expensive, especially if you got a whole family and you're doing the popcorn and the drinks and the whole thing. That's that's now, a big uh, budget. Going to uh, the there. movies twice a month now is a light bill. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, if it's you a, a gas bill, it's an electric mm-hmm. bill. It's insane. I mean, if you think about the trips that we, not so much nowadays, but that we used to take to the big oh. fancy uh, IMAX theater in Knoxville, you know, if we do the full experience of getting the IMAX tickets and doing the popcorn and the drinks, collector thing, any collector thing or yeah. whatever, it's it's a pretty penny. Uh, but Hocus Pocus was directed by Disney legend Kenny Ortega. And if you don't know that name, you should know the name because he not only is a director, but he's a choreographer. He choreographed Dirty Dancing. Mm-hmm. which I was just talking to my boys in the theater the other day about Patrick Swayze. Like when you're up there and you're all like, Oh man, I, I don't, I'm not a dancer and I don't want to be seen dancing. You just think about Patrick Swayze who everybody was in love with because of his dancing. Mm-hmm. And actually mm-hmm. believe it or not, I think that pep talk worked. <laughs> but Kenny Ortega also did uh Xanadu choreography for Ferris Bueller's day off. Just remember and, that uh, the parade the scene parade and- thing. And then as a director, he did High School Musical and Descendants and stuff like that. So yeah. he is a super, super talented director. Now, Steven Spielberg was approached for Hocus Pocus, uh, and they wanted to uh, work with him on it. But he turned it down because he viewed Disney as a big competitor at the time, which is true. Yes. Um, so it would have been, I wonder what it would have been like under steven spielberg's direction a lot more action probably so but and i think they would have to delve into some ancient tomb that's probably true <laughs> I, I think it uh worked out best yeah as as it is so the movie had a budget of 28 million dollars and it only brought in about 45.4 million in the box office so not a huge uh profit on that i actually read a different number i think it was people magazine that said like it was 39 point something yeah. and maybe the extra uh that i found has been like re-releases or something yeah yeah i, I would imagine though that over time with dvd sales and stuff like that and merch and all that the the hocus pocus ip 
has probably doubled that since it's released. Oh, if I'd say probably far more than that yeah. uh, now. Uh, but it is a cult classic, as we've said. And what makes something a cult classic is it starts out with very little fanfare and, you know, maybe not a very successful uh, release in the theaters. But then over time, people start to fall in love with it. And it has this huge following, this cult following. Mm. And Hocus Pocus is definitely one of those. Yes. Um, I, I think what sort of garnered the success was they started showing it like on the Disney channel or on mm -hmm. ABC family at Halloween every year. Mm -hmm. And then the next few years it was, they showed it three or four or five times at Halloween. Mm -hmm. And now it's, you could probably find it on just about every day on yeah. one of the Disney affiliated uh, networks. And that was sort of how I got into it. I, I can't remember the first time that I saw it. I know I watched it as a kid two or three times here and there. And I just thought it was great. And it was like, this is a really mm -hmm. special occasion when I find it on TV and I could sit down and watch Hocus Pocus. And then when I got the DVD many years later, I was like, this is like a gold mine here. This is great. I can watch it anytime. Yeah, I don't remember my first. Uh, it would probably be around the era that I started watching a lot of TV uh, in the evening, like at dinner and stuff as a family probably is a Disney channel movie or part of ABC's uh, 31 days of Halloween that they do mm -hmm. probably late elementary school, early middle school before I really, obviously we were too young to really be in the theaters for it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely saw it in elementary school because I have a memory of staying at a buddy's house in like the second or third grade. And we watched it with his sister Mm -hmm. um, and that was probably the second or third time that I had seen it at that point, because I know I was really excited uh, to see it. But I don't remember before that, but I've always loved it. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those that like just really kept me glued. It was hard yeah. for me to sit down and stay focused and quiet for a full length movie, because midway through the movie, I'm going to get up and start doing like Power Rangers moves or playing with a lightsaber or something while it's on in the background. That one was one that I would just stay in my spot. Yeah. Because I was so entertained by the three witches. Mm. Now, I found out that the idea for Hocus Pocus came from uh, producer David Kirshner. He started telling the story about these witches and how they turned a boy into a cat. He told that to his daughters as a bedtime story. And his wife was like, yo, you should run with that and make that a movie. And so they did. Hmm. Well. So other than it just being one of those things that is around at Halloween every year, you catch it on TV and, you know, it's just like a fond memory associated with Halloween. But other than that, what is it that you think that everyone loves about Hocus Pocus so much? Uh, the characters and not just the Sanderson sisters, the love for Thackeray Binks and the character of Billy, the random moment in the in the, the middle of the movie where you're at this massive halloween party and they literally put a spell on them mm -hmm. doing the song i put a spell on you yeah and getting to see bet midler shine because if if you only know bet midler as an actress then you've really lost a lot of her quality stuff because she is a broadway star and a half yeah with a heck of a resume and an amazing voice and 
a presence on the stage. If you have a chance, if you have the Broadway streaming platform, if you, if you, you know, as normally as I, I would not condone piracy, but mm-hmm. if you can get a, a copy of, of any of her Broadway shows, watch her. Cause you, if you think she's great in film, she will mesmerize you on the stage. Yeah. Um, uh, she was in gypsy. Yes. And there's a little nod to Gypsy at the beginning of the big musical number because she says, hello, Salem. My name's Winifred. What's yours? Yeah. That's like straight from Gypsy. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the characters, man. I mean, even straightforward characters of Max and the girlfriend and the sister. Everyone has been in Max's shoes at some point of another, whether it be a new school, not fitting in, you know, liking the girl, um, having the little sister. And some Get, people being at that age of oh, I'm too old to trick or treat. Some people even take his shoes, not just yeah. are in his shoes. Yeah. Like ice and uh, the other guy. Yes. You know, uh, I think that for me, uh, it's definitely the characters. I think that that's what keeps people coming back. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the falling in love with the characters, being able to quote the characters, wanting to dress up as the characters at Halloween time. It does not matter how old you get or what parties you go to at Halloween or what events you go to at Halloween. Statistically, there will most likely be some Sanderson sisters at your Halloween party, no matter the age of the party. Teen, young adult, older parties, um, costume contests. The Sandersons have stood the test of time. Absolutely. I think it has to do with the, the, the characters. At Disney World, at the Magic Kingdom, every year they do Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. Mm-hmm. And the Sanderson sisters are the uh, focus of a little show they do in front of the castle. It's like the Hocus Pocus villain spectacular or something like that. And they've got the, the three witches that come out. This is the only time and place that you can ever see the Sanderson sisters at Disney. Uh, so it's a very special thing. And basically, they have a big cauldron, and they're trying to put this spell together to call all these villains together so they can just run amok, I guess. Amok, amok, amok. And it's super entertaining. And I've been to the Halloween party like three or four times now, and I make sure that I get a good spot, and I stand and watch the whole show because um, it's it's great. And, and, and they get big applause when they oh, yeah. walk out because it's the Sanders and Sisters. Yeah. They're superstars. And you did see my friend Grace as Sarah Sanderson. Uh, I believe you, I did. If you follow her on Instagram, she's every Halloween for like the last five years. Uh, she was she worked with me at the Opry. She was a singer and dancer when I was Opie. And now she's Sarah Sanderson at Disney on Halloween. And she's in the Nemo show during the regular season. It is not very often that at the Disney World shows that you have live vocals like in front of the castle Mm -hmm. uh but the three sisters are live vocals and Mm -hmm. lines as far as i could tell um and they're always great and they end the they end the show with uh put a spell on you yeah and uh grace gets to do come little children she does yeah 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 i've seen videos of her the sandersons are a staple and i don't i don't see it going anywhere even after we're gone so speaking of characters and whatnot, as we dive into Hocus Pocus a little more, let's just talk about the actors and the uh, characters and everything. So Gary and Penny Marshall mm-hmm. have a great scene in the movie. They're 
playing the devil and what the sisters call Medusa. They're this bickering married couple. And the husband is like all about Halloween and the wife really <laughs> doesn't care. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, they play husband and wife, but they're actually brother and sister or they were in real life. Yeah. And that might be one of my favorite scenes. Uh, just, <laughs> Master. Master. Uh, and Mary watching TV with the dog running and she's like all into it. And, yeah. you know, I, one of my favorite things about the witches is seeing them react to things in the modern world, mm. like, oh, a pavement and you know, the headlights from the from the truck and Jeez, but uh, what a-, a bus and Walgreens and yeah. Yeah. all that great stuff. Um but they had a they had a little spot, and if you don't know Gary and Penny Marshall, uh, which if you're a younger listener, you probably don't. But mm-hmm. uh, Gary Marshall has created and directed several TV shows and movies throughout the days. He was the director of the Princess Diaries. He created this little show called Laverne and Shirley, in which mm-hmm. his sister Penny played uh, Laverne. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Um, and then Penny Marshall also uh, was a very successful director. She did, uh, I think she directed A League of Their Own, which is a great yes. classic movie. Yes. If you've never seen A League of Their Own, definitely check that out. Thackeray Binks. Let's talk about Thackeray. So we have got the physical boy uh, actor of or character of Thackeray played by Sean Murray. Yes. But his voice is not sean murray his no. voice uh was jason marsden who you would recognize as max from goofy movie mm-hmm. uh also was a regular as eric's best friend in boy meets world yes uh he has done voices for dc marvel um he's snapper car in the avengers or in the old justice league the you know, it's always Snapper Car and Lois Lane or like the people on site. What you will know of Sean Murray, a lot of people, is he is McGee in NCIS. If you watched yes. NCIS. And that's I what saw that, but I don't watch that show. So I didn't time know that I uh it was it was this year. We were doing the the double feature as a family. Uh we watched the first Hocus Pocus and then the second one. And uh it's that opening where Thackeray comes on and, and it is Thackeray. It took a lot of people too long to realize it's not Zachary. Zachary. People started realizing when they started putting subtitles on that it was Thackeray. I said, mom, you know who's, who Thackeray Banks is? And she's like, no, I don't. I said, that's McGee from NCIS. She goes, oh my God, <laughs> he's young. Uh, yeah. I was like, but that's not his voice. That's the weird thing. It's not his voice. He yeah, had the they, look. They said the his voice. his voice just sounded a little too modern. Yeah. So they voiced him over with Jason Marsden, and I, I think that was a good choice. Um, yeah. And speaking of Thackeray, the the cat, the uh, they had like eight or nine. They had like eight or nine uh, cats on set. Some were robots. Some were real for different you know little yeah. tricks and moments. Uh, but they used the same technology for the cat for Salem in uh, Sabrina, the teenage witch. Yeah. Which was another favorite of mine when I was a little kid. So moving on to our great cast of characters here. Uh, one of my all time absolute favorite celebrity encounters, Doug Jones. 
And Doug Jones is one of those actors who you have seen in a hundred different things, but you wouldn't recognize him when you see him because he's a very physical actor. So he does a lot of like uh, motion uh, uh, capture stuff or he's wearing a mask. He's some sort of an alien or a creature of some kind or whatever. But I met Doug Jones at a fanboy many years ago. And I've talked a lot about my encounter with Roddy Piper, who was also a very, very sweet, mm -hmm. lovely man. Doug Jones was just such a he's just so full of joy and he seems so genuinely happy to speak to every person who comes there to see him and he hugs everyone and he's just so nice and he has responded to me on twitter or instagram pretty much anytime i've spoken to him um i reached out to him when i first you know got started teaching theater and I was just like, what, what would, what can I do? What's some advice? And he responded and he said something like, just, you know, it's okay to make mistakes and just support them and let them know that, you know, you, you got their back. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. But uh, he did play Billy Butcherson who in the first movie, they allude to the idea that he's a former lover of Winifred. And then in the sequel, we learn that wasn't really the true story, but he was caught messing around with Winifred's sister, Sarah. And uh, so I guess she cursed him and sewed his mouth shut and killed him. Mm -hmm. Kind of overkill there on all that, but yeah. that's what happened. Uh, so fun fact about uh, Doug Jones. He, there's a spot where he takes a knife and he cuts his, the stitching to open his mouth back up. And these moths fly out of his mouth. Those were real moths people Ew. they were real what they did was they put the moths they had like little tweezers or something and they gently put the moths in this little case this little uh container that went into his mouth so that way he couldn't swallow them or hurt them or anything and then when he opened his mouth the moths flew out wow practical so effects that is some commitment there as well and i found out that Billy had this dance scene or sequence that was going to be, I guess, at the big Halloween party where the parents are, and it was cut, which I don't know. I, I think maybe that was the best choice because yeah. um, there's enough silliness in the movie that, you know, and it's just the right amount that it doesn't take away from the actual like yeah. scary element of it. Um, and I think the fact that he's meant to be so scary, but then turns out he's like a nice guy, what was enough. I, I think that a little dance sequence with the zombie man would have been silly. Yeah. So I don't know that I would have been in favor of it. Yeah, I understand. Uh, it'd be very thriller. Probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, eh, this is maybe a little bit uh, too much. I did want to go ahead and list the parents because I found out a couple of fun things about them. So we've got an actress named Stephanie pharisee who plays apparently the mom's name is jenny dennison but mm -hmm. mom do you know where you've seen that actress before i know i've seen her before you have seen her before yes you give up yes okay there is an episode of how i met your mother called the the fips or the quips or the something or ever or, or other where barney basically loses his mojo Yes. And he hooks up with this friend of his mom. And that's uh, that's her. Oh. Stephanie Ferris. OK, 
because I didn't put that together until this year watching the movie. I was like, I have seen her before. What is she from? And then it finally came to me. And then I went and looked it up just to be sure. And that, that was it. That's where she came from. Yeah. So. Wow. All right. Now the dad, Dave Dennison, uh, played by Charles Rocket. Now, I didn't know much about him. Uh, he was in Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. You remember him from that. Mm-hmm. But I did find out he was a cast member on Saturday Night Live. I had no idea for oh. a short time. Yeah, he actually uh, was in a sort of controversial skit, and uh, they removed him. He, dro- he dropped the F-bomb on Saturday Night Live. And that did not go over well. So, yeah, he got let go. Uh, Unfortunately, Mr. Charles Rocket, uh, in October of 2005, committed suicide. He slit his throat in a field in Connecticut. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Not a good ending. Bless his heart. Uh, But, yeah, wanted to give you a little side info about the parents because being a parent's hard and they don't get enough credit especially that's when true. they're dancing all night on halloween i know that's true all right next we got vanessa shaw as allison who you gotta admit when you were a kid just like max we had the hots for allison dude when i was a kid please she went to do some movies uh into our high school and college years that disney would not approve of yeah, she was in The Hills Have Eyes. And 40 Days and 40 Nights with Josh yeah. Hartnett. Yeah. Yeah. She's super beautiful. Super beautiful. Um, she's also in 310 to Yuma, I remember. Oh, okay. Uh, with Christian Bell. I, I loved Allison as a kid. And obviously, Sarah Sanderson. But I like this actress because she grew up and went on to do other things. She didn't get stuck in the... The Disney bubble. And I love the character because she's so into Halloween and this story of the Sanderson sisters and, you know, gets back with Max, like takes jabs at him as well when he takes Mm -hmm. jabs at her in class. Uh, She's not your typical, you know, pretty ingenue. That's just like a damsel in distress. You know, she sprays uh, Mary in the eyes with with something when fighting him off. She fights the witch's back. So uh, it was it was one of the first movies where we we didn't see a typical damsel in distress in the female lead. Sure. She was a heroine. Mm-hmm. So that's true. That's I very liked, true. I loved Allison. Uh, and uh, I always thought it was a little awkward. And I don't think you could do this today. The part where uh, Danny just calls brother yes. out right in front of her is like, oh, Max really likes your yabos. Your yabos. He loves them. He talks about them all the time. Way to say what we're all thinking, Danny. Wow. Thanks, Danny. So speaking of Danny, we got Thora Birch as little Danny. Um, yes. She was great, man. I yes. love the part when the witches discover her and she's like, oh, sisters, I thought that would never come. And she just tries to act like she's one of them. Uh, very convincing, might I add. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she went on to do 
a lot of things. The only thing that I know specifically that I can remember from is American Beauty. Yes. But I know she's done other things. She was Gamma in The Walking Dead. That's right. That was around the time I stopped watching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do remember her from American Beauty, uh, as well as Patriot Games with Harrison Ford. Um, Mom's a big Ford fan. And in the 90s, we watched all of his movies. Um, I know that she was approached a few years ago about a sequel when it was kind of in talks and she was down. And then she didn't hear anything back. And when they came back to her, she was busy, which is why uh, Danny was not in the sequel. But... She said she is hopeful if they were to continue. She was like, I'd love to come back as Danny. Uh, yeah. So she's very open to it. We're going to talk briefly about the sequel uh, in a little bit. And um, yeah, that that's that's something I want to talk about specifically, like yeah. bringing the old characters back. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, and then we have Omri Katz playing Max. Nice and going, Max. Hey, Hollywood. I read an article like two or three days ago where he admitted that uh, he was oh, high yes. during the filming the of, of the yes. movie. And uh, Kenny Ortega walked up to him and like, grabbed him and was like, are you high right now? And he was like, no, of course not. But he was. Yeah. He was like, yeah, he knew it. Um, I couldn't <laughs> imagine being high and being on this set. Bold. Very, very bold. bold move. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of his reactions were very real. Like, whoa. Well, I, th- I mean, he still did a great job. Yeah. Now, things were almost very different because Leonardo DiCaprio was approached for the role of Max. You got to remember, he's the right age in 1993, up and coming. Uh, But he turned it down because he was in talks to do a little movie called What's Eating Gilbert Grape with Johnny Depp, which I think was probably like his first big like breakout role, right? Was What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Gilbert, I go higher. Match in the gas tank. Boom, boom. That is a great movie. Then, of course, we have what everyone's watching the movie for, the Sanderson sisters. So Sarah Jessica Parker as the youngest sister, Sarah Sanderson, and she has they they all three have like gifts. And her gift is that she can entice and enchant children through song. And she did her own singing. And she, I, I saw an interview she did, like, this was one of those uh, behind the scenes that came out with the movie, like, on the VHS or something. Yeah. And she said that all of the sisters had different fathers, and her father was the village idiot. I don't know that that's canon, though, because they all have the same last name. Yeah. So they, I don't know. Um, but maybe that was just their their thought on it, their character, maybe their, their background stuff that they came yeah. up with. And uh, a few years after filming the movie, Sarah Jessica Parker found out that she had an ancestor like a great times 10 grandmother was tried as a witch in the Salem witch trials. She was one of the last ones that that was tried. So that's sort of. Wow. A cool connection there. It is cool. We have Kathy Najimy, another cast member who I've had the great fortune of meeting, a super sweet lady. I did my horrible Peggy Hill impression for her and totally embarrassed myself, but I was starstruck. I didn't care. 
Uh, but she played Mary Sanderson, who has the gift of smelling the children. And she sort of had qualities of, of a dog. She barked a lot. She sniffed a lot. You know, she did that lip. Her lip was always she did a little lip thing. Fans were sort of criticizing the, the fact that her lip switched sides for the sequel. Yes. But she said, well, one, it's just easier for me to do it that way now. And two, yeah. she explained it by saying that one of the times she got slapped, that it switched the lip over. Yeah. Because she does get slapped. But both of the sisters get abused by Winifred a lot. And in the sequel, one of the, the slapping Walgreens took all of us like Peyton and Nolan were like, good Lord. Yeah. She smacked the crap out of them. Uh, found out. Kathy and Jimmy, who, if you don't know, you should know. She's the voice of Peggy Hill. She was the evil queen in Descendants. She was in Sister Act. She's done a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Also, fun fact, unrelated to Hocus Pocus. Do you remember The Hangover 2? There's that wedding band at the end. Yeah. I think it was the second the, one. It's the, the Dan band. Yes. That is her husband. That's the first one. The first one. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That is her husband, uh, who's the vocalist of the band. (sighs) He's also in uh, Old School. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like a traveling gimmick. Like he he takes uh, normal songs and he'll like insert a cuss word in it that does mm -hmm. not belong, obviously. And it just takes you by storm. It makes him sound a, a little more sexy. Yeah. Yeah. But Kathy Jimmy was a huge fan of Bette Midler, and she told stories about like being in New York and finding Bette Midler's house and like dropping letters off saying like, oh, you know, I want to be a singer. I want to be just like you or whatever. And then a few years later, gets to stand next to her and play her sister. So she was really wow. thrilled about that. Um, and obviously very nervous, which oh, yeah. you, know, you can imagine yeah. like, oh, I've looked up to, you know, ex-actor my whole life and now i'm starring in a you know in a movie with them so that's awesome had to be a great feeling before kathy and jimmy took the role rosie o'donnell was in mind to play mary and she would have been great i think uh but at the time she turned it down because she did not like the idea of playing a witch she didn't want to be scary i don't know if her daytime talk show was going at that point or not but she did a lot of stuff for kids like she did after this, Harriet the Spy, and mm, great she did uh, a lot of stuff with Nickelodeon. She did Tarzan. Mm. So, like, she was, and she wrote books for kids. Mm-hmm. So, she was a kid, you know, very oriented yeah. with the kids. So, she did yeah. not want to be associated with something like that. Um, I don't know if she regrets that now or not, but it did work out for the best because Kathy and Jimmy's great. Oh, she's fantastic. And then, of course, we got the star of the show, Miss Bette Midler, the legend. Uh, is Winifred Sanderson found out that uh, Bette Midler carried a thesaurus around on set and some of her insults that she, you know, threw out to the sisters were sort of ad-libbed from her thesaurus. That wow. she Which is smart. And uh, Cloris Leachman was the person that mm-hmm. they had in mind when they were writing it to play Winifred. A legend. Which I think she would have been great just in a very different way. Yeah. Uh, because Cloris Leachman uh, was just coming off of or about to do Double Double Toil and Trouble, which was a Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movie. 
It was Halloween based. Uh, and she doubled as the nice grandmother and the evil grandmother. Uh, and she was great in it. I still remember to this day that performance. But uh, Cloris Leachman, who also went on to be in the Goldbergs, the middle, one of those uh, sitcoms as a grandmother. I don't remember her being in the Goldbergs. It might, might have been the middle. That doesn't mean anything. And I haven't seen the middle. Yeah. Uh, it might have been the middle or Raising Arizona or one of those that she, she was in. I think she was in that one. That sounds yeah, right. Raising Arizona. Uh, and passed a few years ago. Yes. Uh, comedy legend. Mm-hmm. So she funny. was in she was in Young Frankenstein, Raising Hope. I Raising think Hope. She was in Malcolm in the Middle. Malcolm in the Middle too. Yeah. Um, and then if you're a fan of The Office, she did uh yeah. the the oh. movie within the show. Yeah. Where she With played Jack opposite Black. Jack Black. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she was a legend. Uh, and in all honesty, despite the kids stuff she did, kind of like. Uh, Bob Saget, raunchy. Yeah. She was a raunchy comedian. Yeah. Who was beloved by children as like these grandmother roles. Uh, Just like Bob Saget came out of nowhere and played the dad in Full House. He was a raunchy freaking comedian. It's just crazy. It's crazy. I was just reading this morning about that, like that uh, when the cameras weren't rolling, Bob Saget had this filthy mouth on set for Full House, which... If you've seen any of his stand-up, it's not a surprise. Yeah. May yeah. he rest in peace. Yeah, All right. So for years and years and years and years, people loved this movie and always wanted a sequel. Mm-hmm. And when I met um, Kathy and Jimmy at her Q&A, I got the chance to ask a question. And I said, you know, you probably get asked this every single day, but Hocus Pocus sequel. Yes, no, whatever. And she was like, absolutely, yes, I, I would love to do it. If all three of us are willing to do it, uh, Bet and Sarah, uh, there's no reason we shouldn't do it. You know, yeah. and we're not going to we're not going to be young forever. We're not really yeah. out there sucking the life out of children. So, yeah. you know, it's the time is now. And then sure enough, a few years later, we got it. And it was yeah. just released last month on Disney Plus. We've both seen it. I've seen it a couple of times now. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll save a, a deep dive on this one for the, in the future. Yeah. But what did you think about it? Cause I don't know that we've talked much about it. I liked it, man. Um, I'm, you know, where I, I, I stand on reboots, I can do requels pretty good, uh, decently if they're done well. Uh, but legacy sequels, I really like if they're done well, uh, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters is a legacy sequel yeah. and done very successfully. I've, yeah. I've, I've gone on record time and time again on this show about how much I love the new Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Um, Independence Day 2 kind of fell flat. It's not, yeah, not the good. worst legacy sequel that's out there, uh, but there were some missing components. This one, I think, hit all the components that I wanted. You had your legacy cast appear, uh, some of the members. Of course, some didn't. You had uh, a new story to tell, new characters to introduce that could continue the franchise, which is what needs to be done in a legacy sequel, Um, which is what fell flat on Halloween ends. It's supposed to be this legacy sequel for Jamie Lee Curtis and all that. The final final confrontation. confrontation. Yeah. 
but it did not go in the direction that I think a legacy sequel should, because there's always a good legacy sequel should always keep the door open for the story to continue. Even if it's not with the legacy character. Yeah. The witches did not get thrown into a big uh, grinder at yeah, the end. To exactly. Sure. That they didn't come back. So there is a chance for a third, uh, you know, there's the post-credit scene, which everyone's doing nowadays, post-credit scenes. Um, that it hints to a third, and I would like to see a third, especially if, I mean, you could easily do the three of them coming back to possibly be more of a help to the to a bigger threat, uh, because like also at the end the, of the, we saw the bird was still alive. That mm-hmm, witch exactly. from the flashback is still alive. Yes, and she's clearly evil. It would be tough, I think. To see them as the protagonist. It would. But in the end, I mean, Winifred sort of had that moment of that moment, like, yeah. yeah, like, oh, you know, what have I done? I regret my actions. Please help me. Um, we'd never seen Winifred like that. You know, yeah. she's not that she the witches are not that the witches are actually scary, uh, yeah. but, you know if this were real life and you had these three women walking around talking about spells and potions and they're going to suck your soul out or whatever, as funny as they are, it'd be a little bit scary, but the moment of like where she was. So what's the word I'm looking for? She was kind of helpless and vulnerable, right? Very vulnerable. And um, that was weird. That was weird for me. I, not that I didn't like it, but it, and I wasn't expecting it because yeah, she loves her sisters and all that, but, She's also really mean to him. And in the first movie, when they're drinking the, the potion, she says uh, something about all, all the children will be mine. I mean, ours. ours. So that indicates that she's a little selfish. Yes. And so when I was watching it, Becky was sitting next to me and, you know, they say in the spell in the sequel, you know, you have to sacrifice your love or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, what could that be? I didn't expect it would be the sisters at all even though it's obvious that it should have been, I was thinking, well, probably not them because if she could give them up for ultimate power, I would expect that she would, but in the yeah. end she didn't. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that if they do another sequel, I'm, I'm all in for it uh, because these three together are gold gold. Um, yeah. And then it gives us a chance. What song are they going to do on the next one? They did uh, the witches are back this time which is a play off of an Elton John song. Mm-hmm. And then they did the, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you, get you, get you, get you one way. Whatever you call that song. Yeah. So be curious to see what they do for a third one. Um, but I would want to bring back the original kids. Two. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it would be interesting if they, if literally the three, OGs were legitimately a cameo, but what's brought back is the younger versions when they are a little more mean and enticed to evil. Because mm-hmm. those three kids embodied the living daylights out of the three witches. They did fantastic. They were, they were so good. They were great, especially the young Winnie. Mm-hmm. Oh, she was so good. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I love that we kind of semi hit on is 
each of the three have a, a trait, you know, uh, the dumb ah, bubblehead always kind of everywhere, looking everywhere, the dog, the lip thing, Winnie with her just stare and the teeth, the way that the three OGs continued that throughout every scene to have those little isms, the kids did the same thing to show that whole, like, it's been a part of, it's been a character trait their entire lives. So it's really cool uh, that they did that. And it would be cool to see, like, I don't know how they could do it, but it would be kind of cool to see, like, the young meet the old in a scene somehow. I don't know how yeah. they do it, but it'd be crazy cool to see those younger versions interact with the originals. It'd be really cool. There was a book uh, that was meant to be the sequel a, a few years ago, and I believe in that the premise was that uh, Max and Allison's kids are the mm -hmm. ones who encounter the witches. So yeah. I was expecting that from the movie. I didn't look up anything about the movie before it came out. I didn't want to know anything. I didn't know who was going to be in it except for the, the three. And uh, I was hoping it would be them. But, you know, they passed it on to new kids or whatever. That was fine. Uh, but I, I think it'd be great if they did a third one. But Absolutely. I don't know that I would do much more than that. You know, you yeah. don't want to water it down too much. No, you don't want to fast and furious this thing. But uh, hopefully they don't wait another 29 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know that that would work out. But I got to say, for there to be a 30-year gap between the two movies, it was like they didn't miss a beat. Yeah. The, the Three Witches. You can obviously tell a little bit that they've aged some or whatever, especially like Sarah Jessica Parker's voice was a lot deeper and raspier. Yeah. Yeah, but still, yet yeah, 30 years, they looked pretty dang good, especially Bette Midler. It's really hard to tell that she's aged all that much at all. Yeah, it so is. I, I, was, I was super impressed with that. All right, so we'll save more about the sequel for another time, another Halloween. Yes. Got a couple of fun little unknown things okay so halloween of 1993 which was when hocus pocus is set actually falls on a sunday so there would be no school no so they actually got that wrong hmm. um the salem witch trials concluded in may of 1693 but the sanderson sisters were hanged on halloween of that year five months after they ended so they must have been so bad so terrible that even though the witch trials were over with they said oh we got three more let's go ahead and tack them onto the list here and get rid of them uh location fact uh the movie was filmed some in salem and like most things uh in california there's a scene where I guess it's after they burn the witches in the, the oven at the school. <laughs> They're out dancing around in a field or whatever. And yeah. there's a fountain in the background. And that is the same fountain that is in the opening of Friends. Mm -hmm. And also there's a, one of the houses that they walk by was the house that Thora Birch's character lived in in American Beauty. So she came back to that same spot, just a few years oh, later. Wow. Yeah. 
Uh, each of the three witches rode their brooms or mop or vacuum or whatever in a little bit of a different way because when they were training on their flying, they were trained separately. So they didn't get to see how the other one did it, which is good because you don't want them to be exactly the same. You don't want them to influence one another. Yeah. So they all three rode in a different sort of you know posture and everything, which is cool. And Sarah yeah. Jessica Parker loved the flying. They said that she would stay up in the harness and just hang out while people were taking breaks or resetting stuff or whatever. And the other two would get out and take a break. She'd sit there and read the newspaper or whatever. She loved it. <laughs> uh, Winifred's big musical number, Put a Spell on You, was almost cut. Ooh. It would have made a huge difference if that hadn't been there. Um, but they almost cut it out. Because I guess they thought it would be a weird shift in tone, like it's it's meant to be kind of yeah. creepy and ominous, and we we want to feel threatened by the witches, but here they are singing and dancing and having a good time. So they almost cut it. I'm glad they didn't. Would have been a completely different movie. Oh yeah. That's all I got, my friend. That that's awesome. all the nerdlage I have. Not a lot, but there's not a lot out there about this one, really. Yeah. Um, it was definitely the days before um, studios and stuff started letting things like that be known. Mm-hmm. Bonus features, deleted scenes, stuff like that. It was definitely uh, ahead of that time because now you can go on IMDb and look at them, you know, like which is where I get a lot of my unknown nerdlage. Like if you type in Nightmare Before Christmas right now on IMDb, and you just scroll down to the trivia it's where it tells you like a lot of unknown stuff someone who was meant to be cast but it didn't work out or something that happened backstage that influenced this but this movie you know was was you know these these generation of movies there wasn't a lot of people talking there wasn't social media there wasn't you know a lot of look behind the the curtain if you will Mm -hmm. uh whereas now Everybody knows, even whether it's it's Hollywood, you know, all the deleted scenes, the gag reels, the the bonus features, the what could have been, what if uh, in WWE, you know, kayfabe has been dead for years because of social media and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, you, you know, there's a whole generation out there born into knowing everything about everything. Right. Where we thought these you know like for instance wwe we thought you know the undertaker and kane were really brothers Mm -hmm. so i mean this is one of those movies that fell before knowledge was easily obtainable for us so and i kind of like it i do too i like the mystery i sort of miss those days of i do too not knowing all the things that that we know now all the little intricacies. Right. I do too. This has been a, a fantastic double feature for our Halloween special, my friend. I agree. Two classic Halloween movies. That my top if, two. If you have not seen, you have lived under a rock, or you are being mind controlled to be afraid of Halloween. I don't know <laughs> what to tell you, but if you haven't seen these two classics, then you need to. Um what are some of your favorite Halloween traditions, nerds, your movies, your shows, your costumes? Was it Darkwing Duck? Was it a, a tree? A Let tree. us know. 
I was a tree for Halloween. My mother dressed me as a tree. Tyler's over here, dark winged duck, having a great Halloween. I was a tree. Thanks, mom. Yeah. Yeah. A tree. His his bark was definitely worse than his bite. Can you believe it? <laughs> well, thank you all for tuning in on this very special episode on this very special day of the year. Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Juice, you have a great Halloween, my friend. Same to you, sir. And nerds, happy Halloween. And cheers to you. Uh, bye-bye. There once were two dudes who met back in college. Nobody loved pop culture more. So they started a podcast to talk all about it And 30 and Nerdy was born Oh, 30 and Nerdy was born You might hear them chat about shows like The Witcher Or movies like Lord of the Rings And if Josh has to choose, he is loyal to Marvel While Tyler goes more for DC Yes, Tyler goes more for DC. Now come, come, one and all. Nerd up or shut up, just answer the call to be part of our journey into magical worlds. Join us and cheers to ya, nerds. Join us and cheers to ya, nerds.